Welcome back to the Mixed Media Podcast. If you're hearing this message, it's been a while since we've uploaded to our podcasting platforms, and we're returning to our regular editing schedule. Many of these episodes have been recorded for a while now, but we finally have them ready for you to listen to. If you've been missing the show, we are always posting our entire raw live streams on YouTube, Twitch, and Rumble. And you can go to mixedmediapodcast.com to find links to those as well as our Discord if you want to keep tabs on the Mixed Media Podcast project. Thank you so much for your patience and enjoy the show. All right. Mixed Media welcome. Music. All right. Welcome. <laughs> welcome to. I guess I said that too early, huh? Um, <laughs> welcome to Mixed Media Music. I'm Ben Costello, and we will be talking today uh, about the music to How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Um, we've already heard uh, today, or on previous episodes, if you're watching in post, uh, from Irving on you know, reacting to hot takes from Reddit and some other sites on the internet. And we've heard from Nathan talking about problems of consolidation and monopolization in the video game industry. Um, and if you are watching live, or if you have watched in post-watch any of these earlier episodes, you'll know that um, I talked briefly uh, in Irving's segment, uh, the Arguing with Reddit segment, about uh, composers coming in, being brought into a pr film production pretty late in the game. Um, and here's an example where that did not happen, and there's some reasons why. Um, so let's get into it. Music of How to Train Your Dragon 3. Um, I know some point pretty early last year in like, you know, towards the beginning of when we were starting this podcast, we did some like 60 second reviews. I did talk about this score, um, but I'm going to expand on that a little bit. Um, so we're going to give some background here too. Uh, so the How to Train Your Dragon franchise, a three film franchise uh, in the 2010s. And... You know, I, I kind of have come across two two reactions to it. Either people, mostly thinking of younger people, though I know some some older people who really enjoy these. There's people who either really enjoy these films, um, and they kind of grew up with them, or the people who are like, "What? I've never heard of it," or that's just too childish for me. Um, these are you know kind of typical uh, high quality DreamWorks animation films, uh, 3D animated films. I've heard mostly and mostly love for these films. I think they have a huge fan base. They they really do. Uh, there's some controversy in the fan base now because after this third film, The Hidden World, they decided they were not going to. Well, at least the director said they will not make any more like main timeline films after that. Um, there is also there are, I think two or three um, like series you know on Netflix that go in between the films. Um, and then they decided that they're going to continue the films. They don't want to get rid of the dragon world, but they don't want to ruin the ending of the hidden world by having something that takes place after it. So they get, there's a current show that they developed that is takes place like 2,000 years later or something like that and takes place in like modern New York or something. Um, and that has produced some controversy in the fan base, whether that's, you know the animation isn't as good and it's kind of, you know, not as good as the original stuff. 
Uh, I will say I've never watched this series, but I really love the films. I did not grow up with them either. Uh, I really didn't hear them at all until I started getting into film music and I saw that everyone was talking about How to Paint Your Dragon. So I decided I would watch the first two films and then when the third one came out, I watched it in theaters. At that point, I thought these were fantastic films and it was worth seeing in the theaters. Um, yeah, so these films are extremely loosely based on uh, a book or a series of books by Cressida Cowell. Um, and really the only things that are left from the books that are that um, you have the main character, Hiccup, and his Night Fury Toothless, uh, although their relationship is very different uh, than, than it is in the um, films. And that the only other thing that's the same is that um, it's, this is set in kind of like Scandinavian Scotland, or kind of like the Hebrides area. So it's kind of this strange mixture. Of, these are Vikings, but they are you know, Scottish accents. They look, you know, Scottish, right? They're going to be, you know, Celtic dress and big, you know, red hair and red beards and whatever. Um, this is a specific area of Scotland where a lot of uh, Vikings, Nordic people uh, had you know, colonized in, at one point in history. Um, other than that, there's no connection between the films and the books. Um, so John Powell is the composer of these films. And I would say that I think, and I don't have a source for this, but just in talking with lots of different film composers and musicians who aren't necessarily interested in film and musicians who are interested in the... Um, film industry, I think it's just kind of a general consensus that the, the score for the first film in particular is probably the best, a lot of people's favorite score of the um, of the 2010s. And it's kind of hard to disagree with, although I'm going to be talking about the film for the, the score for the third film, which I personally enjoy more. I'm going to talk about why I enjoy it more. Um, so John Powell is the composer of this. We've talked about Powell many times in the past. Um, but Powell, dating back to actually the film I talked about in my last segment, uh, I mentioned ranked, I ranked pretty high in my ranking of 1990s animated films, um, The Road to El Dorado, which had the score headed by Zimmer but involved a lot of people, including Powell. And Powell was kind of like the number two guy on it. Um, so dating back to there, um, Powell has had a very, he's been very strongly associated with DreamWorks. Uh, he kind of took the lead on Shrek and has done hundreds of their films since then. So he's not exactly the like in-house composer, but kind of is for their, their biggest films. So they kind of had that, you know, like I said, if, if you're watching earlier, I, I mentioned that Composers generally aren't brought in until basically the last minute. Uh, he was brought on board pretty early in the design process um, and was able to, you know, work on his themes pretty early in, in, for the first film. Um, and the first film kind of gives us the palette here. Uh, it is massive, you know, massive orchestra um, and lots of choir, um, but also, you know, it's typical John Powell kind of action percussion um, and lots of ethnic woodwinds, in particular, um, you know, like tin, uh, tin whistle and sepulchre whistle to uh, give us this kind of 
flavor of these, you know, uh, this, uh, this, Nor uh, this Celtic flavor, because uh, we're, we're in Scotland, even though we kind of look like we're Vikings as well. And so, yeah, kind of this strange, uh, strange mixture, I suppose. Um, and what's really the, the big thing about the, the first film is that it's got, not only is we have a massive workshop, we have these gigantic themes that are developed throughout the film. It's very, very Star Wars-esque. And I think, honestly, the trilogy is pretty star, you know, close to the original trilogy of Star Wars films in, in a lot of narrative ways as well, and also in non-narrative ways. Um, and the other important thing to note is that we get uh, a contribution by a uh, Nordic singer uh, called N Jonesy. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but he uh, contributes only uh, to this first film, only uh, in the song and that plays in the end credits. Um, and there, there are some really popular tracks in this, uh, like Test Drive, um, This is Burke, and Forbidden Friendship. Um, yeah, lots of enormous brass, and like 12 horns kind of, kind of brass. Um, the second film, I think is the best film. It's kind of the Empire Strikes Back of the uh, of the trilogy, and in, in, in some narrative ways as well. But just also in terms, of, I, I think music, you know, is fantastic. Um, Powell is taking a lot of the themes from the first film and adding some new ones to it. Um, and to me, the, the biggest difference though is that um, we get maybe even better sense of like massive scale of things. So not only is the orchestra massive, but we get this, we're looking at like, you know, enormous dragons, enormous places, and we get music kind of matches that gives us the sense of scale, if that's kind of possible. Um, and the, so we get to the third film, that uh, How to Train Your Dragon in the Hidden World. Um, and I think generally, again, I don't have any hard data on this, which is Mostly, uh, you know, I don't hear many people in the film community, film music community, talking about the score. Um, and I do know from fan reaction online at the time when when the, when it came out, people were very unhappy with this. A lot of fans were very unhappy with the score. And so I agree that I think it's the weakest of the three films, although it's not bad. But I think it's, it's the weakest of them. Um, but I think. You know, if you if you like these films and you find that the music is the worst out of the three, um, you know, it's personally my favorite. But I think the issue is that you know the first two films kind of set us up with some really high expectations for what music should be, um, and I think it's different for, in a lot of really good ways, but if you if you expect it to be like the same exact template as the first two films, you probably will be disappointed. So what is it uh, to me that, that stands out about the music here? Why do I think it is such an incredible score? Um, okay, so the first thing is that it doesn't add a ton of new themes. There are two main new themes, there are some other ideas in it too, but two main themes. The first one, I don't really know what I would tie it in with exactly. It's just kind of like the people of Burke, um, which is the, the, the village that they live in. 
Um, and it's really not memorable. It is just kind of a bland theme. It, it, it gets taken to you know interesting places, but it is not a memorable theme. You're not going to come out in the theater humming it like you are a lot of these other themes from the first two films. Um, and the other theme, which is kind of the love theme, we can call it. Um, it's not the same, you know, the, the human character, main character, Hiccup, he has a love theme uh, with his love interest, Astrid, going back to like the first few minutes of the first film. Uh, it's more of the, the theme of the dragon Toothless um, and this other, he finds his light fury. Uh, he's the last night fury dragon. And so he falls in love with his light fury. Okay, so they get their kind of romantic theme. Um, and I think it's a really gorgeous theme, but it's not exactly a very hummable theme, which I, you know, that's an important trait in, in a memorable theme. Um, other than that, really is not a whole lot new uh, thematically that's added. We got a lot of the earlier themes brought back, of course. Um, we got to tie everything together and continue developing the characters. So, so that's kind of a strike against it, you might say, for a lot of people. But I, I really don't find that to be particularly problematic. Um, I don't think that the, the film really demands a whole lot of new themes. There are some other like smaller things. We get like the villain has a theme, and the his his dragons have a theme. But by and large, again, they're not like t terribly important themes that you know people are gonna remember. And just like there are plenty of smaller themes in the first two films. Um, but I, I, I don't. The film is so thematic. So many scores, so many themes in it to begin with. Just trying to be a, the first two films. I don't think it needs a whole lot of new ideas. Um, what we what we get in this score, though, um, we get a lot more choir. The music overall has a darker tone to it um, because, well, here's an example of a trailer that told you the end. Um, of the film for, for a specific reason, right? Uh, so basically, and I, I don't think I'm spoiling anything, it's the trailer literally begins, there used to be dragons. Okay, so we know if you watch the trailer that we have to get to the place where the dragons are no longer, you know, co-inhabiting with the humans. Um, so we, we kind of have to set up this darker tone, and that's, that's a sad thing uh, if you've been following the, the franchise. And also, you know, the film, the, the trailer is also giving us that we're going to get a lot more maturity from the main characters. They're going to grow up, not they're not like teens anymore. You know, they're going to grow up and actually like have children by the end of the film, be full full adults, we'll say. Um, so yeah, a little more serious, darker tone to the music. Um, it's not to say there aren't a lot of really fun things in there. Um, there are some numbers, particularly where uh, the dragon Toothless is trying to impress the Light Fury, um, does some kind of comedically awkward things, and the music is comedically awkward as well. And the uh, track called Third Date, uh, really wonderful track, definitely a highlight for me. Um, but the, the most important thing here uh, is that this is a very woodwind-driven score. And it's not, obviously, like in the biggest action moments, yes, there's a lot of, you know, big brass and lots of strings as well. But that's not much of the film. 
and that's kind of a contrast to the, the earlier ones, earlier earlier films here. Um, there's a lot more solo instrument work, and there's a lot more counterpoint, which if you're not familiar with counterpoint, that's where we have like two equally important melodic ideas happening at the same time. It's a little bit more intricate in that way. Not just, you know, big themes and lots of like, you know, big foreground and lots of stuff happening in the middle ground. Um, it's kind of like a lot, a lot of times we're getting, you know, two foreground things, two different foreground things. Um, and a lot, you know, so like I said, it's, it's woodwind driven and that's not an impossible thing in today's musical world. Um, there are a lot of examples of really good film scores that I love that are feature woodwinds very heavily, but normally they, those are what I would call chamber scores. They don't have large instrumental forces to begin with, and woodwinds are just part of the palette. Um, a really good example is sort of one of my favorite recent scores, um, Despot's score for Little Women in 2019, I think, um, where it's really just strings, piano, harp, and flute and clarinet, and that's the sound world. And so flute and clarinet get a lot of great stuff there, but that's just like, the, that's the small ensemble that, that we get. Um, it is very unusual in anything large. First, it's unusual, of course, that we're still getting these large Williams-esque scores written by someone who's not Williams. But it's even, you know, it's, it's even less common to get a gigantic orchestral score where we are heavily featuring the woodwinds as solo instruments. And in fact, woodwinds are really kind of driving the, um, the intimacy of, of this. It's much more intimate music, except in the big action scenes. Um, and that's a, that's a really big departure from the first two films. You know, the music uh, is really kind of tracking the main characters and trying to help them, you know, get from where they are at the end of the second film to becoming like adults and you know giving up their dragons, but in exchange, basically, main characters end up having a family kind of thing. Um, so there's, that's a lot of maturity to be throwing in a, a kids uh, kids film in a way, and you know, I I think that the music does a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of actually giving us how the how the characters are getting there internally. Um, and a lot of that is just because the woodwinds, you know, and it's uh, in these moments where we're getting introspection, orchestra is much smaller, and it's woodwind-driven, solo woodwinds, and especially flute-driven, which, of course, I'm a huge fan of as a flute player. But even if I weren't, I think, where are you going to find a score that is so flute-driven? Nowhere in, in, in 2019, right? Uh, if I didn't mention it, the film came out in 2019. Um, yeah. So I, I would say, you know, a lot of the big numbers, the big action numbers, kind of not that impressive here in this film. But the highlights are like really, really very high highlights. I don't know if that is a good way of phrasing that, but they're really outstanding. Um, yeah. And I think, in general, also, it's a more color-driven score than thematic, right? So I said we're not really adding too many new themes, not, definitely not adding any, like, terribly memorable new themes. Uh, and although, you know, we're getting a return of a lot of themes, um, and although 
uh, Powell is still doing an excellent job of like hinting at themes before they actually kind of fully emerge. Um, it's, just, it's just more of an emphasis on color than on you know giving us a tune that we can hum at the end of the film. And some of that comes from his own orchestrational choices, where we get a lot of is what um, I call kind of a, a shimmery sound. Um, I know a lot of other musicians I talk to use that exact same adjective. Where we get it, we get um, flute, harp, and uh, chalusta, and um, like bells and vibraphones, that kind of stuff. Very kind of shimmery sound in a lot of places. Um, and also, the artist uh, that I mentioned earlier, Jonesy, uh, actually contributes to the score. So when we get the um, entrance to the hidden world, which is where the dragons is, you know, I guess just under subterranean uh, world where the dragons can live in safety. Um, you have to be a dragon to get to it. Uh, so when we first get to the hidden world, uh, we get this really interesting um, mixture of Powell and Jonesy together. And we get you know, him doing all this kind of atmospheric, kind of multi-layered vo vocal stuff um, with orchestra. And it is really stunning uh, music. And yes, by the end of it, we get to some themes. But it's just kind of not thematic. It's just kind of almost ambient music um, with orchestra and, and voices. It's just really fantastic. Um, so unlike anything that it, uh, else that is in the in the uh, trilogy of films. So again, more more sense of uh, color and even greater sense in the second film of, of massiveness of scale. You know, we see the hidden world like this basically spans the entirety of the like you know un, uh, subterranean Earth. Massive scale, and the music does a really great job of of capturing that. Um. Yeah, there's some so some really fantastic moments in it. The, the tracks uh, I already mentioned, third date where um, the uh, our, our dragon and protagonist uh, Toothless is trying to uh, is comically trying to and, and failing to impress the uh, female Light Fury. Um, we're getting this uh, this wonderful love theme, which is coincidentally or or maybe not coincidentally. Interestingly, um, very similar to the theme from uh, film Ferdinand, which Powell scored in the same year. Um, and it, that kind of is like the, you know, maybe you could say it's generally Ferdinand's theme, but it's really associated with like Ferdinand's love for his father at the beginning of the film. So again, it's kind of this cute, um, very intimate theme, first given to us in, I think, uh, flute and piccolo separately with this kind of shimmery sound um, in the track, Toothless Smitten. Really, really interesting. So where you get, that's where the score really starts becoming um, woodwind and particularly, in particular flute driven. So Toothless Smitten, third date, third date continues um, that theme, but adds a lot of kind of comic elements in it in the way that um, music can be comedic, which some people struggle to imagine music being comedic, but uh, I would just, tell you to watch that scene in particular and see how the music is kind of um, mimicking what, you know, the kind of the failed uh, attempts of Toothless to, to uh, impress this uh, female dragon. Um, I think the best track uh, called The Furies in Love, where we get the kind of um, full 
uh, you know, the flowering of this love theme, the, the dragons kind of express their love for each other, you know, you know wordlessly, but um, really beautiful scene. Uh, the really gorgeous film overall is what's the animation. The music in that po uh, point is just some of the greatest music I've ever heard in any film. Um, you know, taking this idea and like really allowing it to breathe and be its full self is this romantic theme. And also, um, like I mentioned, the, the track, The Hidden World, where the dragons enter the hidden world for the first time, and we get this kind of ambient uh, singing with Jonesy and all these really colorful woodwind colors, um, all you know, sorts of different like kinds of runs and whatever. It's really, really interesting and so different than anything else in the series that I think incredibly effective. Um, I think in maybe the first show where you know reviewing um, uh, or rank, ranking 90s animated scores part one, which you can find on our channel or anywhere you can, you know, we have our podcast up. Um, I, I quoted Powell, um, where he's talking about uh, writing for animated films, um, and in particular, I think he's referring to um, How to Train Your Dragon. Um, so, and I don't, I'm not going to pull up the exact quote, but he talks about you know the freedom that um, he has, you know, in, in working with an animated film, um, in terms of just you know orchestral choices, right? You, it's just, as I mentioned there. Uh, you know, 3D animation is, is kind of the equivalent of, of uh, that kind of, you know, 2D animation from the 90s. Um, and it has that, this, this, this phenomenon of orchestra and like really big scores just being more acceptable for some reason uh, in, in animated, animated in children's films for some reason. So he has the freedom uh, you know, with these three films uh, to do that, to have a large orchestra, and also just to be really creative with his themes and be really hyper-thematic. Um, so, I don't know, personally, I find that all three scores are masterpieces. Um, I think the third is my favorite just because it's so, so it's, it's different. Um, I think it's a lot more intimate. It's a lot more colorful. Um, I think the themes in the film as well as the musical themes that kind of accompany it. It's more relatable to me personally as, you know, someone a little bit older. Um, and I, mean, I, I just think overall that, you know, everything that Powell does in this film is, is really beautiful. Again, the, like I said, the highlights are like really fantastic. The rest of it, maybe, you know, it, it, it's, it, it does what it needs to do. Um, and just the fact that, you know, the woodwinds are, are driving the score solo woodwinds, um, very different kind of, you know, chamber texture in these moments that give us this kind of intimacy and allows us to see the character's growth into becoming adults um, without them having to say or do a whole lot. And which is really fantastic for a, you know, especially for an animated film that's ostensibly, you know, aimed at kids. It, it is it's pretty serious in, in a way. So I, I think it's a really fantastic score. If you're a fan of the first two films and you can't get into the music for the third film. Um, I just urge you to rewatch the film and kind of think about why the music is a little bit different, and you know, try and try try to you don't have to you don't have to you know agree that it's great. Maybe just try and appreciate 
what Powell was going for uh, with the you know, differences in, in this score um, from the first two. So overall, yeah, really wonderful score. Probably my favorite score of the 2010s, um, right up there with Powell's work um, on uh, Solo, A Star Wars Story. I think he's the composer of the last decade, and we'll see how this decade shapes up, but I think he's kind of, you know, the, the leading composer of our, our current uh, era. Awesome. Yeah. Makes me want to pick up the trilogy now and uh, watch it for sure. <laughs> it's, I, I really like, you know, when I first pick up the film, I'm like, I, I'm just going to watch it because of, you know, how well regarded the score was. I'm like, that's ah, going to be kind of silly and childish. I, I loved it. And I think the second film in particular is like, it's amazing what kinds of themes they're going after um in you know in an animated film and it's just yeah a really fantastic film fantastic trilogy but second one in particular i think is is the best cool cool nathan you want to do the outro this time sure we're uh, we're done right yeah mm-hmm uh, the only thing I'll add is I think I uh, I, I I watched or it's not watched I read the How to Train Your uh, Dragons book a very very long time ago. Um, I don't remember anything about it, <laughs> but I did watch the movie. And I did enjoy it. <laughs> At least I watched the first one. I never got to watching the second or third. Uh, but yeah. Um, all right. If that's it. Um, yeah. This has been the mixed media. Um, it's been a slightly longer than average episode. Um, th- uh, and um, follow us on all our social medias if you wanna if you wanna see uh, where we are, the platforms we stream on, and all that good stuff. You can check on mixedmediapodcast.com. I'll have a link to uh, you know, YouTube, Spotify, etc. And you can be on our Discord. So presumably, if you're watching this, you know you already have a streaming platform of choice. That's cool. But our Discord is good, and you should be there. <laughs> so um, that'd be very useful for getting things like feedback and just talking with us. Um, that stuff is uh, cool. So uh, yeah, and um, is that all? I think I have to say. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Um, all right. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next Tuesday. See ya. Yeah. Monday. Thanks for Monday. watching and listening. Uh, Sorry, Monday, Monday. Monday. Why did I say Tuesday? Yeah. I don't know why I said Tuesday. Monday. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, bye guys. Thanks for watching and listening. Oops. Tell a man no trouble, I don't want beef man, I just want vibes Big man like me, no need for the telephone hype I got too much getting online, one rule then dead I'm on sight Wrong move, I bet they gon' ride, no need for the telephone hype Nah, no need for the snoozing, big whip outside, I'm cruising Big stick inside, no losing, better watch out for the snake and Judas's Don't ask them who this is, I bet they know what I'm moving in I bet I show it into a dim, how you hating then lose again?